Hey there, Duke fans. We are bringing you this episode on Monday evening, but we recorded it Monday morning before the ACC announced their all-ACC selections, including Mark Williams as Defensive Player of the Year and Paulo Bancaro as Freshman of the Year. Coach K did not win ACC Coach of the Year, as we speculated he might, but we will react to all of the all-ACC selections on our next episode. So, all right, enjoy. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 399 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Yes, we are at 399, just one before the Big 400. But before we do the Big 400, we have a lot to discuss on this episode. I am Donald Wine, your host this episode. I also have Jason Evans and Sam Klein with me. Jason, you are back in Atlanta from Durham. How was the drive yesterday? I wasn't too bad. Uh, it actually provided me. Uh, I was I was driving with a, a good friend of mine, who uh, Jonathan, and he is a huge Duke fan. And we pretty much spent the entire ride. We we did listen to our podcast, <laughs> but we spent most of the ride talking about the team. Jonathan's a, a really really smart uh, observer of basketball and of of the Duke team. And uh, I've got. You know, we'll get to this later, but there are a couple of things that came up in my conversation with him where I'm like, you know what? I need to talk about that on the podcast. I hadn't, you know, we didn't get to it. It's stuff that's worth dis- discussing. Yeah, uh, I also, uh, of course, uh, rode with a friend. My, my buddy Kyle rode down with me and back with me. Uh, so we had lengthy discussions on the ride back to D.C. Uh, about the game and just everything that took place over the weekend and just, you know, just taking it all in and kind of re- and just kind of reacting to it. Sam, you are. I believe you're on vacation with your family. How is that going so far? Uh, good. I am uh, out in Colorado. I'm back in Colorado. Uh, let's see. In terms of Duke fans that I have uh, talked to extensively since the game, it's really just my dad, and he has not had uh, particularly deep thoughts to share, but I'll share them anyway because we're we're sharing thoughts from friends. Absolutely. Uh, and your dad is a very important man, so what he <laughs> says right. is important as well. So, uh, But before we get into everything, Uh, else that we didn't talk about from the weekend we do have a big week coming up for the ACC the ACC tournament begins on Tuesday in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center Duke is the number one seed they get the double bye to the quarterfinals and will not play until Thursday at 12 p.m eastern time that game will be on ESPN they will play either FSU or Syracuse in the quarterfinal Uh, they are the eighth and ninth seed and they will play on Wednesday so guys I just want to start with Duke's positioning in the tournament. Obviously, they are the regular season champs outright. They are able to get this double buy and they have to play three games in three days to win the ACC title. Sam, I will start with you. Tell me what you're thinking about this tournament, the setup. You can also talk about any of the other teams and where they lie. Uh, but fr- focusing primarily on Duke, what do you think about this seeding and the teams that are ahead of them on the way to the title? There's an element of the ACC tournament where I would like Duke to feel like they're challenging themselves. Uh, I, I want I want Duke to have tougher games than than easier games. And if that means honestly, if that means taking another loss before the ACC championship, I'm okay with that. If it feels like Duke gets to have some more challenges under their belt, hey, UNC. Wait, wait, I think, hold on, really? What are you really saying that? Uh, because I'm, I. 
I got to tell you, we're at, we're at the point in the year where uh, this this team, it, it, it's time to win games. Oh, <laughs> no, no I, more losses. No more oh, losses. I, I want them to win, but but I want them to have I want them to have challenges to get there. Um, UNC came up and smacked them in the face after after Duke had been cruising a little bit for the last few games. And that was the last few games against. I know we say that they're against ACC opponents, but they're not against teams that had you know any any hope of making the NCAA tournament, not teams that, that Duke needs to be able to beat going forward. So like in that first game, I hope that Duke gets to play Florida state and avenge the, the loss that they had against them earlier in, in the season. I want Duke to be, to be fired up for that sort of thing and get, and you know what? I want to see Duke play Carolina again. Um, I, I, I hope that that comes to fruition and that, um, and that we get to face them, um, it would be in the, I believe it'd be in, in the, the championship, in, in yeah. the championship. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for those outcomes because I want to see the team get tested. I want to see the team um, make a, you know, make a few more adjustments. They had, we, we mentioned this the other night after the UNC game. Um, I am sure that the team has been through a, a tough day so far. I'd say it's been approximately a day of punishment for them at, at this point. And uh, they are they are looking forward. I think they are going to be hungry, looking for that ACC championship. Coach K talks about about hunting banners. There was there was a bit of on that topic. There was a little bit of dissonance in the post game remarks after UNC. How he said we need to add one more banner, and I don't. I guess he was pointing up at the championship banners. Maybe uh, no, no, national championship so, so banners. He 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 wasn't actually pointing anywhere. It was clear from the context of what he was saying to me that he was talking about the ACC banner, but yeah. plenty of folks yes, in the crowd. The banner. Yeah, plenty of folks. Well, because he said, because he said we need to. He said he said we have to earn. We, I, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but there was a way that he said it that made me think that like he was only talking about one more. And from the one that that so they've got the ACC regular season banner that they have to put up, but there's a Final Four banner and a. Um, and a national championship banner that they're also chasing. There are multiple banners that are left for this team to earn, and I hope that they are able to get all of them. And it's worth noting that if they win the ACC tournament, that Duke would put up one banner that would say regular season and tournament champion. They don't put up two banners for uh, so you know, see, one year. Winning the, winning the ACC tournament isn't even worth a banner at this well, point. So. It, it, <laughs> it is if you don't win the regular – if we win either the regular season or the tournament, they put up a banner for it, but if they do both, they only put up. There's only one banner. Now, you know? now we're now we're just getting into banner semantics. Banners, uh, yeah. <laughs> banner minutia. Uh, by the way, Sam, I wanted to play off of one thing you said really quickly. Y- you know, you mentioned Florida State, UNC. The other team in du- likely in Duke's path to an ACC title is probably Miami. Uh, it, this is a really, I think it's a very interesting revenge tour that we could see this team take. Uh, if they get Florida State, which I think they will, I think Florida State will beat Syracuse. If they get Miami, that that's a tough one. That'd be Miami and, and Wake Forest. You know, I'm not sure that Miami wins that game, but certainly possible that they do. And and then whether Carolina comes out of the bottom, uh, the bottom half of the bracket, you know, that that that's way too far out to project. But it's possible that we're about to see Duke take a uh, revenge tour through the ACC if if those are, in fact, the the teams that they play. And I wanted to mention really quick because I think folks may not have been paying attention and, and known what's going on with Florida state lately. Uh, they are not the team that, that Duke sort of smacked around and was struggling for a while with terrible injuries. Florida state's gotten 
a bunch of players back lately. And, and this could be a, uh, you know, I think that they are going to handle Syracuse perhaps fairly easily. Uh, and, and they could be a real, they're, they're a matchup problem for Duke. Uh, the, they're going to have Raquan Evans back. They've got Anthony Polite back. They've got Caleb Mills back. I mean, none of those three guys played against Duke when we beat them in Cameron. And all three of those guys played a very significant role when we lost at Florida State. They're still be missing Malik Osborne. And and seven four uh, Naheem McLeod, whatever that guy's name is, he's seven four. That's all I know about him. <laughs> uh, uh, but but this is still a, a really tough team, and and I want people to keep an eye if we play Florida State. And I be, again, I believe we will keep an eye on John Butler. Remember, he had a huge game against Duke in the first game. Didn't do much in the second game. He's been really hot for them lately. In their past two games, he is six of ten on three pointers. So he's shooting a ton from the perimeter, even though he's seven one. And he has seven block shots in their past two games. So Butler is really starting to play well. Um, I, I worry. I actually worry more about Duke against Florida State than I, than I do about, you know, if we get past that game, who we might face a little bit further down the road. So for me, Sam, I think you alluded to something that I, I think is important, and it's the challenge aspect. But when I think about the challenge that Duke is facing in this ACC tournament, the challenge that I want to see them is the challenge mentally and not necessarily physically. Um, obviously, there's three games in three days. That's still a lot of games in a short amount of time. But the great thing about Duke is that they're the only team in this tournament that's guaranteed to have more rest than their opponent every single round. They're, they're going to be at noon on Thursday. They're going to be at 7 o'clock the first game on Friday if they win. And then, obviously, the ACC, ter- uh, ACC tournament final on Saturday, they will have the edge over their opponent as far as rest. But I don't want them to be beat up, beat up physically. I don't want teams to come after them physically and tire them out. I, I want to see more of the, the mental aspect of things. And I think when Coach K, after the game on Saturday, you know, said that we let you down and that he was disappointed in, our, in the performance of the team, I think it was more the mental aspect and not necessarily anything physical. And I think that's the challenge for this team is how can you walk in, focus, like we've done on the road so well, uh, this season, how do you lock in and close everything out and put your mind on the next play, the next possession, the next attempt, and make it where this is is still going to be a challenge for them in other areas, but the physicality is not the one that I want. It's the mental aspect because I think that's the one they need to improve the most on before entering this NCAA tournament where they could be, you know, potentially leading the ACC and being, you know, short of the, the banner, the, the, the flag bearers of the conference in that tournament. So that's what I'm looking for from this team. It's a, it's also a, a favorable setup, as you said, Donald, not just that they, um, that, you know, that Duke's got good times during the tournament, but that they get a few days now to really prepare for it and to, to reset from that UNC game. And I, I don't know exactly what, what coach K does to get them into, into postseason mode. Uh, but, but it is, um, this is, this is high time for Duke to get there. And by the way, the motivation to win is not just because it's, it's cool to win the ACC tournament, but because there really could be seeding implications for Duke. Like the, I think the best outcome left for them is probably a number two seed. I think that things would really have to go awry for them to get a one seed. And at this point, there are sort of too many teams that, that have good resumes to um, to best Duke in that area, but 
not winning the ACC tournament or, or losing to someone that you really shouldn't to could, um, could drop Duke down to a number three seed. And so there are, um, there are like compounding implications for that. So, so they really want to be protecting their NCAA tournament status in addition to winning this banner. And, and where we fall on that seed line within the number twos, like being one of the top number twos or one of the bottom number twos plays a role, you know, as the NCAA starts to slot teams around, if they've already slotted your desirable bracket um, with someone else, you, you don't get it. You get shipped somewhere, you get shipped to a region maybe that you don't want. And, and I think there's several matchups that Duke probably really doesn't want that become bigger possibilities if they, uh, if they fall further on that two line. Yeah, I, I think that's the key here is the, the seating and the location. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think Duke is going to be, I, I'm just predicting this, they're either going to be in the east or the south. I know the preferred track for Chicago but uh, in the Midwest, but that doesn't seem to be likely at this point. But yes, I think the seating is, is one thing, but really the location and who would fall on the lines ahead of them or, 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 or below them in that region. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. And I think, honestly, it starts with just winning the tournament and then you have more of a, I won't say more of a say, but you're, I feel like the path would be a little bit clearer in that, in that case. Jason, I want to shift to you because obviously Duke is not the only team playing in this tournament. Uh, and, and there's a lot of other teams that you know could have uh, a say in who is crowned the ACC tournament champion. So why don't you talk about some of the other teams that have, uh, at least the analysts are saying, uh, have a good chance to contend for this title. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. Um, uh, both Bart Torvik and Ken Pomeroy run simulations based on their, uh, you know, all their computer, all their advanced metrics about who's going to, who could potentially win um, the, the, the ACC tournament. And the really interesting thing to me is that those simulations really don't like Notre Dame. Um, uh, in, both, in both cases, uh, they, they, they say Duke has about a 50% chance Torvik has them a little over 50. Um, Pomeroy has Duke a little under 50, a 50% chance of, of Duke winning the ACC tournament, um, which, by the way, shows you, you know, even as a pretty prohibitive favorite, um, uh, you know, in terms of being higher rated than every other team in the conference, still, you know, winning three games in three, day, in three days, the computers say there's only about a 50% chance that Duke accomplishes that. And the, the really compelling thing to me is that the computers really don't like Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the number two seed, but, but uh, in both computer um, simulations, Notre Dame is, you know, is clearly the, the third or fourth pick to win the ACC tournament. Um, it, it, these, these computers really like North Carolina much better than Notre Dame. And I think part of that is Notre Dame drew a tough draw. They're probably going to get Virginia Tech uh, in the 2-7 game. Uh, Virginia Tech, even though they it didn't translate into wins and losses, just in terms of the advanced metrics and their scores and things like that, the computers know that Virginia Tech is better than the seventh team in the ACC. And I think that's a tough draw for Notre Dame. The other thing is I think Notre Dame is pretty likely to get Virginia as they're uh, in, this, in the next round. And that could be another really, really tough game for Notre Dame. I, I, I don't like Notre Dame's draw at all. Uh, I, I actually like North Carolina, even though Carolina is the three seed. I like Carolina's draw a lot better than I like uh, 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 Notre Dame's draw. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it we'll see how it all works out. But uh, I just thought it was really interesting that the computers really, uh, you know, they say Duke's 50 percent. Notre Dame, the second best team in the ACC. They're basically saying is like got an eight or nine percent chance of winning the, the conference tournament. 
Well, I, I mean, I would, I would push back a little bit on the, on the fact that they could potentially face UVA because UVA and UNC play each other in that round before as well. So they could face right, UNC right. either yeah. way. I, I think Notre Dame has a tough draw because a lot of the teams that were favored in the top half of the ACC at the beginning of the season have fallen to their side of the bracket and, and, and Duke uh, as the one seed, you know, they have again, a, a revenge tour of sorts that could line up if, you know, we have FSU Miami and then either UVA or UNC. I know we, we kind of avenged the UVA loss uh, early uh, late last month at the John Paul Jones arena, but I, I, I still think there's a score to be settled with them. And I think the team would could use that to their advantage, Sam, uh, before we wrap up the ACC, anything for you uh, on, on what you want to see this week from the rest of the teams? Yeah. The, the thing that I'm going to be watching that I think is always interesting are the teams that are on the bubble that the, the the teams that have sort of the most to gain here are um, ACC programs that are that are on the bubble. I assume that teams who are very far outside are just not going to have what it takes to win. Like it's certainly possible, right? That Florida State is able to like beat Duke and, and beat Miami, et cetera, and, and get a tournament title, or that or that Virginia Tech does the same thing, or Virginia. But I'm really looking at Wake Forest and Miami as teams that know that they are that they are close. Um, and that's those are the teams that I think can potentially make themselves the most dangerous because they can get, you know, that excited. Look, guys, we are so close to getting in. We have to win one or two games to to solidify our spot in the field. And particularly for Miami, uh, getting potentially to play Duke um, in or I guess for for both of them, getting to play Duke in that second game or in that or in that third game for for Wake Forest. Um, that is what's getting them excited for this tournament. And I think also just teams that are hot, right? Like you never know once, once the calendar hits March, there's some team that just gets hot in a variety of ways they, they can, you know, and we've seen teams in other conferences go five games in five days and win, the, win, the, win their conference tournament and get to the NCAA tournament in a, in a tournament that they weren't supposed to get to. You know who's hot right now in the ACC is North Carolina. So, um, you know, if they're, if they're making it to the, to the final, that means that they're on an incredible winning streak highlighted by that Duke win. So. Um, and and the, you know who's not the team that usually is hot this time of year? Syracuse. They've lost four in a row. Bad too. Not like not close games. Um, a couple of those were against us, and yeah, they weren't they weren't pretty. But uh, we will see what happens to the ACC tournament. Again, it starts tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, all the games are are usually on ACC Network, ESPN, or ESPN two. Uh, so check your local listings for that. Again, Duke will not open until the quarterfinals on Thursday. That will be a 12 p.m. Eastern time tip. So go ahead and put in your work lunch right now for Thursday, and that way you can watch Duke play. But we'll leave it there. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we have a couple of other things that we want to talk about in the fallout from the Carolina game last this past weekend. And also, we'll talk about some of the gifts that Coach K received from the university, and we will discuss what we think of those gifts after this. All right, gentlemen, we are back here on the DBR podcast, and I want to go back to Saturday night because, uh, as, as Jason alluded to when, when we opened up, there's just way too much from that game that we could have done in one show. Uh, so we have some extra things that we want to discuss from Saturday night and just also the overall 
ceremonies for Coach K that happened uh, over the weekend. So, Jason, I will start with you. Let's talk about the game first. I know there's a couple of things that you wanted to highlight, but I want to start with the late foul on Mark Williams or uh, late in the first half uh, that sh- in my mind should have been a charge on Armando Baycott, which would have given him three fouls. But I, I know you and I were at the game and we both looked at each other at the end of the half and said that was a game changer. Yeah. So it, it, this is a key play. And and I was listening, like I said, I was listening to our podcast and I don't think we we talked enough about how significant the final couple minutes of the first half were in, in determining, you know, what happened with this game in the second half, uh, you know, Duke had a seven point lead with just under two minutes to go when Armando Baycott clearly charged into Mark Williams and, and the ref called it a, a blocking foul instead. It really, uh, you know, Sam, I'd be interested in knowing if the, if the announcers uh, on TV felt it was a, a poor call. Everyone in the arena did. Now we're, we're a little bit biased, but boy, I, I watched it on replay as well. And I was like, that's, that's just a bad, did, did the announcers, did they think that was a poor call? I, yes, the announcers did think that one was a bad call. It was, they were like, they were like, uh, you know, it, it's a hard one to call, but then when you look at the replay, it seems like he, he kind of lowers into Mark Williams and yeah, Mark yeah. was just trying to, to stand his ground. What was funny to me is that um, right after that happened, Coach K called timeout. And oh, when yeah. he did that, I, I know I texted you guys this during the game, but um, uh, my immediate reaction, to, like, right? So so you heard the, the timeout whistle, and then there was a few seconds of commotion before they started moving to commercial break. And I said, right when the whistle blew, I said, this is a timeout for Coach K to yell at the refs. And then the camera panned over to Coach K and he was yelling at the refs. And Sam, he was yelling at the ref because the ref that made the call ran immediately walked the dude ran. all the way down to the other end of the court and had wanted nothing to do with that conversation. Coach K came all the way out basically to half court to yell at refs. And he's like, I want to talk to that guy. And that guy looked right at Coach K and just gave him this shake, shaking his head like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going near that. There were two different times in this game where I believe Coach K called timeouts just so he could berate the refs. He was he was really unpleased with with the with the officiating. And the key to me is not the Theo, the Theo John block in the second half. That was the other that one. That was the other one. Timeout, yeah. like almost immediately. Right, right. And uh, the key to me, I, I, I want to be clear. I, you know, I'm not blaming the loss on the refs, not for a moment. Uh, but what what that. One call that call on Mark Williams that should have been Armando Baycott's third foul that has so much of a ripple effect over the course of of the game because if Baycott's not in foul if Baycott's in foul trouble it it inhibits how much he plays uh, you know something else that we didn't discuss very much on the podcast is North Carolina did not substitute in the second half they they didn't the, the five guys that came out from halftime were the same guys who were out there the entire second half for Carolina. And it just would have been the second half would have played out differently if Baycott has three fouls. And then the other thing about it is at the time, Carolina had a seven point lead and it would have given Duke the ball with a chance to get a nine or even a 10 point lead. I mean, that's, that's starting to get to be some serious pressure. Instead, Carolina holds onto the ball. They end up getting a three pointer in that possession. So they cut it to four. And eventually by the, you know, in the next minute and a half, by the by the end of that uh, by the time we get to halftime, Carolina has made it a two point ball game. I mean that's a huge final two minutes of the half where 
if Duke gets the right call and then executes properly, we could be up double digits. Instead, we're only up two points. And it was just, it was just such a big moment and such a big event that I, I felt like we wanted to come back and, and, and attack it and discuss it again really quickly. Momentum's the mother, right? And we've talked about this during the season. That was no different because there's a couple of things that happen. Go back to early in the first half. Armando Baycock picks up a foul early, I think maybe before the first media timeout. And what happens? Hubert Davis subs him out. And Jason, he was out for a while. This. Yeah. He was out for like seven, eight minutes before he checked back into the game. If he gets his third foul with two, with about two minutes left in the first half, there, I mean, yes, he's out the rest of the half, but the way that Hubert Davis was playing him, he wouldn't have seen action at the start of the second half. He would have been sitting to start the second half to preserve the amount of time he could be on the court. And again, that last two minutes, he was involved in every single play down the, down the stretch leading into halftime. If he has three fouls, if he has th- three fouls, he's not in there. So I think that is where the momentum kills is that because that guy was in there, the same guy that should have been out is the one that causes the damage. It, it's, it's a, it's a terrible call and it's not one that, that, like affected the end of the game, but it does affect the momentum. And in this game, the Duke UNC game of all games, momentum always is important. It's something that you want to have on your side at all times. And when it changes, it can change very quickly. And again, it could be a decider down the stretch. So it's one of the other things I wanted to discuss. And like I said, I, I, I was chatting with my friend Jonathan in the car for five hours on Sunday about this. And I'm going to credit him. Jonathan made a great point. You know, we talked about how great the crazies were. Donald, you named them the player of the week. When I was doing my good from the game, one of my goods was how good the crowd was. Jonathan pointed something out to me that I, I really, guys, tell me what you guys think about this. Cameron was loud. It was really loud. And that's awesome. But Cameron was not coordinated. I don't recall any let's go Duke chance. You know, especially in that second half, the final 10 minutes when the game was really tight. I don't recall any times where the whole stadium was chanting defense, defense. And like when we do it right, when it gets, you know, really rhythmic and everybody's into it, it becomes borderline violent. It shakes the stands. That didn't happen. We got loud, but I don't think the crazies were that coordinated. And, and like I said, Jonathan pointed this out to me and I was like, God, you're right. I, cause I'm remembering back on the game, there was a ton of yelling, but there wasn't a lot of, synchronicity the way you usually expect from Cameron no disrespect for Jonathan that's very very harsh there was a lot of let's go Duke chance in the second half it's just that I I will tell you this everyone was so locked in that everyone was wound up so tight that you probably didn't hear it and the thing about the UNC game it's rarely coordinated because this is the game where all the pent-up frustration from tenting and from waiting out line and, and, and all of that bubbles over and it's just bubbles over into pure energy and energy doesn't have to be coordinated. It just has to be existent, present, because usually that is enough. I don't. I, I think they were very coordinated on the night. I think there's a lot of chance that they were doing that. I, I know we were sitting closer, but people up at the top of the rafters were doing some of the chance that the camera cages are doing because they're able to listen and listen for them and hear them. But I think in those times when we were focusing on the game, it's hard to focus on everything else. And, and at times when we when we were down and we were hoping, come on, guys, let's get back into it. Sometimes all you need to do is just keep clapping. No, there wasn't a defense champ, but that doesn't mean that they were poor. I thought they were excellent on the night. And I think uh, saying that they were disjointed is a little bit harsh because 
when it comes to UNC game, the entire game makes it where the camera crazies are disjointed. Yes, you can get a lot of energy from a coordinated chant, and I think they were doing that. But when you have one, the crazies are doing one thing and the upstairs is doing something else, that's where the disjointed comes in. And I think that's all part of the energy that is the Duke UNC game. Multiply that times 100 because of, of the, the stakes uh, from Saturday night. Jason, I, I agree. I'm, I'm not inclined to think that, oh, my God, the the coordination of the Cameron crazies makes that much of a difference in the game. Like, ultimately, the game will be the game. And there's there's just a lot of noise for the other team to to block out regardless. And it's it is interesting that at Duke, and I don't know how common this is at other places. It doesn't feel like it. But at Duke, the fans are cheering very loudly, like the whole time, as opposed to just when the other team is when their team is on defense. So uh, there's some element of just you get used to how loud it is in there. But um, I I can tell you from being in the building at other times that it is it does sort of feel like I agree with you, Jason. It feels like it transforms the experience when everybody's in sync about it. I could hear the the stand up um, uh, a couple times in there where they were making sure that everybody in the arena yeah, was, was gotta, up and into it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I thought that was largely unnecessary. The, the, I, I, I've, I've been to plenty of games where, where the upstairs at Duke is not, you know, is sort of passively watching. Uh, this was not one of them. I don't know. They, they, they chanted stand up to us several times. And I was sort of like, why we are really into it. There were, there were plenty of people standing up all the time. And uh, the upstairs was was into it. Um, I I thought pretty well. And uh, Jason, you know, I, Jason, there are there were times in the second half where we kind of looked at each other and realized, yo, know, we, we're in the front row. We've been standing for like five minutes. Maybe we should yeah. sit down for, yeah, exactly. for a minute, making life difficult for breath. people behind us. You know, yeah, you guys aren't al- aren't the ones who are allowed to to uh, patrol that uh, when you're sitting yeah. down low in the, like near the railing. Right. Exactly. Hey, hey guys, I I had another thing I wanted to talk about. Um, regarding Cameron, and this is not, there's no, this is not a blame or anything like that. Uh, but I am glad, and I think this team is probably glad that it has played its last game in Cameron, and that the Coach K farewell tour, um, it, it has has ended. I, I really suspect there, there's, there's probably a book to be written someday about sort of the psychological troubles that this team had in Cameron Indoor Stadium this year. Um, we were clearly much worse at home than we were anyplace else. And I, I went ahead and just dug into some numbers and I'll, I'll admit this is a small sample size, but these numbers are pretty striking. I looked at the six ACC teams that Duke played twice, that Duke played home and road. Here are the numbers. You ready for it? North Carolina, we're plus 20 on the road, minus 13 at home. Wake Forest, plus 12 on the road, only plus two at home. Florida State, minus one on the road. We lost, minus one on the road, plus 18 at home. But it's worth noting, that was a Florida State team that's missing all five starters. But I'll still count that. So that's the one game where we were better at home than on the road. Syracuse, beat them by 25 on the road, beat them by 20 at home. Virginia, beat them by four on the road, lost at home. Clemson, beat them by 18 on the road. Only beat them by two at home. All right, that's a ton of numbers. I just got just a couple more. On aggregate, I totaled all those numbers up. Against those six teams, Duke was plus 78 playing on the road. Plus 28 playing them at home. That's a 50-point difference against six teams. And if you take out 
that freaky Florida State game, again, where they're playing without any starters. Duke is 70 points better on the road than they are at home in, in the five, six games that we're talking about. I mean, that's, that's striking. Again, I know it's small sample size, but I think maybe this team is relieved that they're not going to be playing in Cameron anymore this year. Well, I also think, Jason, those numbers don't take into account the fact that in a couple of those games, particularly the uh, game against Wake Forest, where we ended up winning by two, we were up by 19 at home and we were not able to close out the game with that score. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that we were able to be better. And remember, we talked about in December, we're like, man, we just got to get some games at camera because we're terrible on the road. And now we look back at the season, we go on the road. We were road killers for the for the majority of the season. And at home is where a lot of the struggles were uh, present. Um, I do want to move on to the post-game ceremony because I think that's the thing that's had a lot of people talking about, you know, just what Coach K was was, was given by Duke University. And, and for those out there who did for some reason missed it, I'm going to run through quickly what was presented in this post-game ceremony. Uh, Michael Harrison, who is the Duke uh, Alumni Association president, uh, presented Coach K. Uh, they, they are building a bench at the new alumni center that just opened this past year, and they are naming it the Coach K bench. It will be painted blue, and it has some design, uh, but it's one of the wooden benches that if you've been to Duke, uh, they're always everywhere uh, where people can sit. And, and basically, they put that there as kind of a symbol of uh, something that is a symbol of Duke for Duke students. Um, but they're having a Coach K bench at the Alumni Center. Not It's a wooden bench. It's not a concrete bench uh, or, or a, a, a stone bench or a marble bench. It is a wooden bench. So we'll leave it with that. Uh, Nina King, the athletic director, presented Coach K with a framed uh, set of jerseys that contain elements of Coach K's three stops, Archbishop Weber High School in Chicago, Army, and then Duke. It also had numbers on the jersey, number 44, which was his high school number, and number 12, which was his number at Army. And the jerseys, it was interesting because uh, the, the jersey was like Duke blue, but it had the number 12 in the, in the uh, gold, I guess, or the beige of the Army Knights. Um, so I, I think that was pretty interesting. And then finally, Vincent Price, the president of Duke, uh, presented uh, or I guess announced the Krzyzewski family scholarship, five senior student athletes representing the five members of the family and the five national championships. Although he jokingly reserved the right to make it six. If we win another title, uh, they're getting scholarships uh, in the name of coach K and the rest of the family, uh, Mickey, Lindy, Debbie, and Jamie. So uh, I thought that part was really cool. Now I want to turn to you guys because, and Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, because there's been a lot of controversy about these gifts and knowing what he has received on the road from other teams, there is, I'm just going to go through something off the bat. Someone had emailed us and a couple people had mentioned on the forums that they were surprised that Cameron indoor stadium was not renamed. That was never going to be in the cards because as of right now, coach K has his name on the court. And that is usually how things are done when it comes to renaming institutions of, of basketball. At this point, you have the name of the building and you have the name of the court. So I don't think it was going to be renamed Cameron Shusevsky Indoor Stadium. That was never in the cards. But I think a lot of people are upset that it wasn't. Sam, what did you think of these gifts? Were you excited to see some of them? Were you perplexed at some of them? Or did you, you know, just give me your thoughts on what 
Coach K received from Duke University? I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have that strong of a reaction to any of it. I thought that the um, I thought that the bench was cool. I, I guess so. So uh, to the point about them not renaming anything after him. How many things do we have to name Shashevsky on the athletics campus? The the basketball right. court, yes. the practice Case facility, center. and the field out front where everybody pitches their tents are all named for Shashevsky. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I got I got the answer to this. I came up with this answer. What they should have done is they should have named the stadium Cameron Indoor Stadium with a K instead of a C. that's that's branding right no so 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 coach k already has his name all over the campus um and and there are other there are other places around you know around duke and durham there's you know the emily k center which he started uh has his name on or i guess has his mother's name on it but um but mike krzyzewski's name is in a lot of places already i don't think that's a problem i thought that the bench was the was the coolest thing because it was the most uh it was the most like uniquely Duke thing that they could have done. And, and I, I saw some, I can't remember where this was and I don't need to, I don't need to pump it up too much, but I saw some, some uh, Twitter dummies uh, making fun of them, giving him a bench. And, and I thought to myself, there's no, there's no Duke people that, that are looking at that and, and being like, what is that about? I can only imagine it's people who haven't visited the campus before or, or have, don't know much about the campus because large benches are like one of the, the features of the, of the Duke experience. And so to me, it felt like, look, they've already, they've already named a bunch of big things on campus after him. Um, they're already giving away scholarships in his name. What is something like, you know, that, that's, that's maybe a little bit more subtle that that could still be in his honor. I think a bench is like a perfect thing for that. Yeah. So the thing I'd say about the bench is there were, uh, I will freely admit, Donald will tell you when they said, so we're putting a plaque and we're naming a bench after you. I turned to Donald. I was like, really? That that's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice. I like the bench idea. It's a good idea, but it felt like, is that all you're doing? The alumni association, you, you've got some rich alums. All you can do is put a plaque on a bench. And I, I've, I've had a, a fair number of friends say like, I can't believe he did this. And I think part of the problem was the messaging around it. Um, and Sam, you did a good job just a second ago of sort of explaining how, how central benches are to the Duke experience. I had a good friend, Della Martin, who, who wrote, to a, a whole bunch of other Duke fans I'm on an email list with. And Della said, the problem with the bench gift was they didn't explain it. I'm going to read to you what Della said about the bench, what they should have said. And tell me, guys, I mean, this would have completely changed our view of it. She said, the Alumni Association should have said, Coach, you and your family have given so much to Duke. And you've been one of the many focal points of student social life on campus. Another focus of student social life are our iconic benches that are built by the students. The benches spend time supporting the students. They're a place to hang out with friends, a place to kindle a new flame, a place to read along on a gorgeous spring day. The benches support the students until something phenomenal happens and we win a title and we burn the benches to celebrate that winning of a championship. As a tribute to you, Coach, and to the countless students and alumni you've inspired, you will have your own bench in front of the Alumni Center. It probably will never be burned. It's too far from the main quad to ever get burned. But it will be a symbol of your impact on Duke that goes far beyond basketball. If they had said something like that, 
We all would have mm-hmm. got the bench thing. And I, I thought what Della wrote was beautiful. And I was like, yes, that would have made the bench seem meaningful instead of going, we're going to have a bench and there's going to have a, you know, like, they just didn't you explain can sit and it. Well. Think about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, Della, yeah. Della and I are on the same page here where we got mm-hmm. it immediately. Um, and, and I, I, I know Della, so I know that Della is very, is very like plugged into the, um, uh, to the, you know, the, the, the soul of the campus. And so it's sort of immediately apparent to her. And that's exactly how I felt when, when they showed us the picture of it, I was like, perfect. Like they're not, they're not overdoing this. Um, like the, the amazing thing that they're doing is the scholarships. Um, that is an expensive, meaningful gift. And, and coach K already has named the, um, has already named the captains. Like he already donated, um, enough money back to the school to, to endow one of the scholarships that he, so he endows one of the captains and it's named for his brother. Um, another yeah, and, example of the Krzyzewski name already being on campus. And, and I, th- I think it's worth noting. I, it wasn't entirely clear to me, but I believe that the five scholarships that they've endowed are not specifically for basketball. They're no, for, for student athletes, right? Yeah. They're in other senior sports. student athletes. Yes, exactly. Which in basketball, nowadays are, are few and fewer and far not between, that many so. and, and, and all the basket and actually jason to take that a step the further, entire I, basketball team's already endowed yeah 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 the whole basketball team already has their scholarships endowed so they will go to non-men's basketball players yeah uh, and i think I, that's I, great i believe that's the case yeah the the, the only other gift thing that uh we, we got an email from someone who who mentioned this he said what about a statue and and i think that would have been a really interesting uh, look i you know i joked about renaming camp respelling cameron with a k i think a, a statue of coach k would be a really uh it'd be a nice way of of putting a bow on all of this stuff it would I permanently wouldn't be surprised would, jason if if a statue or a bust is in the works um and that maybe they just weren't ready to announce it yet because we already have eddie cameron on a um on a bust outside of cameron indoor right um, i think there are a couple like the only full statues on campus are members of the Duke family. Uh, you could argue mm-hmm. that, that Mike Krzyzewski has, has gotten himself to the point where he is as important to, to Duke University and the history of Duke University than maybe all but the Duke family. And look, Benjamin Duke, I don't know what Benjamin Duke even did for the school. He's got a full statue. So um, yeah, fine. Make Coach K a statue. That would be cool. So I, I was talking about this with uh, my buddy Cal on the way back. We were talking about the statue idea or the bust idea. And I think it, that would have been a great idea. I would, I would not be surprised if they kind of mentioned that to coach K and coach K said, I, I don't want to see my face on a, on a statue at this university as long as I'm around. So maybe that's something it could be in the works. It could be like a bust in inside of the entryway, uh, the new entryway to Cameron. Um, but maybe it's something where, uh, where it's coming down the road or maybe, you know, 40, 50 years from now when Coach K is, is gone. But I, I, there's a couple of quick ideas that I thought were cool. Um, one, the, the statue or bust idea was one. Uh, you would have to probably create statues to kind of make it work for other famous Duke coaches like Wally Wade um, and maybe have it that way. But the other one I thought, create a new wing at the Hall of Honor and kind of make it the Coach K wing. I think that's probably going to be in the works. They, they, they can't fit all his stuff in the Hall of Honor as it is right now. Uh, and then finally, Sam, you mentioned that the only statues on campus are uh, statues of the Duke family. Well, I was thinking, um, you know, the quads are all named after former Duke presidents. Name Main West, the Main West quad after Coach K to signify, because again, that's where the benches are burned. 
it is a it is the center of of student life uh, on campus outside of uh, Cameron and Shashevskyville, and that might be a cool way to kind of honor, especially saying yes, you are on par with some of the great presidents that have served this university uh, proudly. So I thought that might have been a cool idea. But again, this is also me talking, and maybe this is something that Coach K himself may not have wanted. Hey, I, I, I'll just say Sam has Sam has brought me around on the notion that there's enough stuff named Shashevsky. I I, I, think, <laughs> I I don't think we need. Main West quad named after him. I mean, but, it would have been fun. Would have been yeah, cool. I was gonna say it, it. It's cool. Um, you can't you can't like give him enough honors, but uh, his his name is already in a lot of places, so it's fine if they don't do that. I think now that now that I'm thinking about it, a statue would be cool and is probably coming at some point. Uh, maybe they announced it at the banquet or or something like that. And the great thing about a statue is versus a bust, people go and pose. Like if you put a statue in the right kind of place and the right kind of pose. People will take pictures with it and pose with it. And it becomes sort of, oh, you have to go visit, you know, and do this at this statue. Um, so, yeah, I, I that's the one thing I'd like to see. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they maybe they wait a month and they make a statue that has him holding up six digits. Uh, that's what I want. I want a six or or honestly, uh, I think someone also mentioned this, a statue of the fist. Of a fist, yeah. Yeah, fist like, or, like, you know, they had the shirt, and I was wearing it uh, the other day, but they had the shirt that they put out a few years ago that had the fist and the five points of the fist, and they have it in the Nike store that's right next to Cameron Indoor Stadium. They have, like, a little silhouette of it. If they had made a statue out of that, I think that also would have been something that was cool and gave deference to him. But also, like, he doesn't have to look down and see his face and say, oh, my God, my face is there. So that would we'll see what happens going forward. But I think I honestly think more is coming. I don't think we've seen the last of the Coach K accolades from Duke University. So uh, that will do it for episode 399 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Remember, if you're a counting person, and I know all of you are because you're Duke fans, the next episode that we will have is the big one, episode 400. We are so excited to welcome back Kenny Denard to episode 400, as we have done on episodes 100, 200, and 300. He's our century guy, and he has a new show uh, that he has narrated about Coach K that is out right now uh, on ACC Network's like digital platforms. It's called Legacy Coach K. He is the narrator of said show. We will be talking about that and a whole lot more with one of the best guests in Duke Basketball Report history, so look for that coming up very, very soon on episode 400, but this is episode 399. We are done here. Jason, Sam, thank you so much for joining me. As always, I am Donald Wine, your host for this episode. And again, you can find us anywhere on the forums, online, but especially through our email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Email us your questions. Email us your, your comments about the statue or any other ideas that have been uh, discussed on this episode. But also, we just love hearing from you. And thank you so much for listening. Now it is time for the Duke Band to take us home.